is Fesad Pliqueta. This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode, that's right, of the London is Blue podcast. One of your hosts, Dan, here. No Brandon, but a Nick Verlaney, a wild Nick Verlaney, back <laughs> off a business trip to New York City, coming in hot and ready to talk about the women's ICC coming up and Millie Bright extending her contract. Nick, how you feeling? Well, I'm tired, Dan. Thanks for asking. But uh, yeah, I feel like I missed a couple of shows midweek, which I haven't done in a while. But appreciate you boys keeping uh, keeping the flame going. And uh, yeah, excited to talk about the women's ICC. Cause I, I think this is underreported right now in the Chelsea-averse. And uh, we, should, uh, we should be bigging uh, our wonderful double-winning Chelsea women up as they prepare to head to the States. Right. Remember, not just champions of England, but also winners of the Women's FA Cup, a match that we were at. We were there when it happened. We, we saw it go down in person. We saw them in the league in person. It was quite wonderful. Uh, two great, great days out. But, yes, we are going to talk a little bit about the Women's ICC coming up. Just some quick thoughts that Nick and I have before. Actually, we get into an interview with the head of the Women's ICC. We talked to the individual from Relevant Sports, known as Susie Fiore, who gave us a wonderful breakdown. Looking forward to seeing her when I'm in Portland. That's right. I'll be there. So if you're there and you're in Portland, let me know. That'd be great. Super excited to meet up with some Blues supporters and watch the women's team. Hopefully, beat Lyon because that would be amazing and Nick I mean maybe that's the place to start the first game of this tournament is the Chelsea women versus Lyon yeah and if you if you needed reminding uh Lyon or champions of Europe they uh got zoomed Barcelona in the women's champions league final three to one uh, absolutely played them off the pitch a, a team that everyone had as favorites to win it and so uh this is a really great preseason test and uh you're you're talking about a couple of the best teams in the world, um, a couple of the brightest managers in the world, and they're all going to play at one of, I think, you know, one of the, the top five footballing cities in America in Portland. Uh, it's unique. It's a little different. And it kind of feels like the perfect place to host this preseason tournament. I mean, Pacific Northwest and soccer in, in the States are, are synonymous. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to going in person, as you'll hear shortly in the interview we did with Susie. We talked about the requirements to be a part of this tournament. You have to have won a trophy in the last year. Uh, thankfully, Chelsea have done it twice. It's meant for the champions of respective leagues, and that's why you see Lyon, that's why you see Chelsea, that's why you see the Thorns, who had multiple ways to participate, and then also Monterey as well. Uh, the first time they've had a Mexican team in the competition, too. So it's a, a big year for first for the Women's ICC. And what I think what's really cool, too, is it's $25, like, entry-level price for a doubleheader match for some of the best teams in the game, in the women's footballing game, and actually in all of football. Let's just expand a little bit further. So, uh, yeah, let's get into the interview we have with Susie. I think you're really going to love it. And then when we hit you back after a little bit of an ad break, we'll talk about Millie Bright's contract extension. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. And this is a special episode that we're conducting ahead of the Women's ICC. That's right, it's an event happening in Portland at the time of recording next week. But maybe you listen to this on Monday and Tuesday. And uh, then it's happening in the actual week, on the uh, starting off on the 17th, when uh, the Chelsea women's team will be playing Lyon. But we are 
excited to welcome in, uh, you know, really, really wonderful to get uh, Susie Fiore of Relevant Sports Group to join us, uh, the head of the Women's ICC, amongst other many titles, many hats that she wears in the organization. But Susie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Dan. It's great to be here. And maybe just for uh, those of our listeners who are not aware of uh, you and your background, uh, maybe just we'd love to get a little learn a little bit more about like how you got involved with with Relevant, how how your journey took you here, and you kind of leading the women's uh, ICC efforts for for Relevant. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been a women's soccer player and fan my entire life. So I am by trade, I'm a lawyer. That's my main background, and I. Um, I started sort of a traditional path at a law firm, and after I left the law firm, I worked with Major League Soccer for a couple of years, and then about seven and a half years ago, I came over to Relevant, only on the legal side at that time, but my job has expanded into things much more fun, namely heading up our women's platform, which started, which I started to head up in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and our women's platform, the, the keystone event, of course, is our women's ICC tournament, which happens each summer, and then our Other major event is our best 11 list where we create a board of experts and we debate and discuss and determine who are the 11 people in the world that are doing the most that year to advance women's soccer. So that will come out later this year. And we we ended up we end up doing films on each of the winners. We can talk about that on another podcast. We've had some uh, some Chelsea winners in the past. Um, And then our platform is also just sort of a 24 seven women's soccer news um, uh, platform as well. But the the Keystone event, of course, is the tournament that you kicked us off with, which will be happening next week in Portland. Well, I don't want to presume to say who I think should be in that best 11, but I feel like (laughs) Sam Kerr has to be a shout for it, uh, given her performance last year. But again, we can save that for another episode because we probably (laughs) could spend the entire time talking about how great Uh, Sam Kerr and many of the players are, but uh, maybe before we dive into the event, so former player, we have to ask uh, preferred position. Where, where did you dominate on the pitch? I was uh, right back. So that was my, was my preferred position. Um, So nothing too, too exciting. I wasn't getting all the glory, not all the goals, but uh, steady defender on the right side. (laughs) Awesome. Well, we are super excited to learn a little bit more. And maybe just for our listeners who are maybe just learning about, you know, the ICC or the women's tournament that you're putting on, what would you tell them or what would be kind of the pitch about why this event is going to be a must attend or as we've seen now with uh, Dens and Sport, kind of with the 175 countries that they're going to be broadcasting to a must stream event for them? Yeah, absolutely. So as all your listeners and fans know, unfortunately, there is no Club World Cup for women, and we look to fill that gap. So what we're trying to do is create a tournament that brings the best in the world together in one place to battle out to see which club is world champion. So what I like about our women's platform and what's different than our men's I don't think there's any argument that all the best club soccer in the world on the men's side is played in Europe right now. Um, you know, that could change in the future, but I think that's pretty much the general world consensus. I don't think I'm I'm going too crazy there. But on the women's side, that's not a that's up for debate. You know, there's the European leagues are soaring right now. The NWSL is getting stronger each year. So you have this sort of 
which league is the best. And what I like about our tournament is it gives an, a little glimpse, a little opportunity to kind of let one league and one club say, hey, actually, we're, we're the best this year. Um, and so historically, we have focused on European and U.S. teams. And we're excited this year for the first time we have a Mexican team as well. So, you know, it, we'll, we'll get into this, I'm sure, about expansion plans and the like. But for the moment, we believe that the top teams are playing in Europe and the U.S. And that's been our focus. And we're, we are expanding this year into Mexico. Um, that that's that's what we're looking to do with the women's ICC. That's great because when you think about the point you made, the Club World Cup, uh, and, and again, current champion holders Chelsea uh, owning that regard, it'd be great to then pair that with a women's ICC trophy to have maybe dual ownership of best clubs in the world. Particularly, when we know that the Club World Cup may not be held uh, this season due to the World Cup, which. Again, we're happy to hold on to it for an extra year. Not a problem. <laughs> no issue there. So it sounds like then that the criteria or the selection criteria currently has been just, is it is it league winner? Is it uh, Women's Champions League winner? Like what's the, when you sit down to draft up, you know, when you're thinking about this year's tournament, how did you kind of come up with the list of the teams that we have here? It's a great question. So, you know, going back to, we think that, you know, probably the European and the U.S. leagues are, the strongest at the moment. And then we have to look, you know, there's so many European leagues. So we're saying we have to think about which leagues are actually the strongest within Europe. So typically the, the top four that we'll look at are the English league, the French league, the Spanish league, and the German league. And that, that could change over time, but those are sort of the highest UEFA co coefficient leagues in Europe. And then we're looking at the MWSL. And as I said, we what we our expansion into Mexico this year came as a result of us watching that fan base watch the final that Monterey won in December. Um, I believe it was something like over forty thousand fans in attendance. And we said, you know, we need to we pay, need to pay attention to our neighbors in the south. You know, originally they were sort of the, the top Mexican players were playing as part of the NWSL. They've now branched off and created their own Mexican league that has a lot of buzz, a lot of fans, and we wanted to, to bring them into the mix as well. But basically, the idea is we're looking at top leagues and we only invite champions. That's um, that's something that we think is really important. So this is the fourth year of the tournament in 2018 and 2019. It was actually more of just uh, an invitational event, um, top clubs, but there was no championship requirement. What we did um, last year and what we think, you know, sets us apart from other friendly tournaments or, or tournaments that are friendly is, is that we really hammered home. No, you have to, you have to, you know, win the cup to, to get invited into this thing. So, um, you know, Chelsea got invited for winning the FAWSL last year. Lyon wins, you know, is invited one of two ways, either winning Champions League or the French League. Monterey for winning, you know, the December title in Mexico and the Thorns can kind of come in a few different ways as well. They were the Shield winners, the Challenge Cup winners, and they're also the reigning champs of the, of the women's ISDC. Yeah, so no one is getting invited without having a fair bit of silverware or at least a couple of a couple of claims to to their throne, as it were. Exactly, exactly. So when you look at, you know, maybe the how this tournament has evolved because there was a period of running it i would call kind of like pre-covid and now we're like in a the post-covid environment of running it there was the 2020 uh kind of one that was run uh just last year and then now this tournament um what's what's changing or evolving for how you're approaching it from like a 
engagement with the supporters or maybe even like city or site selection um, to kind of, you know, from an access standpoint, trying to bring more people into these tournaments? Yeah, it's a good question. As you know, our world was rocked by COVID. Um, you know, it's it led to us actually not having men's events for the last couple of years. So we've, it's been a challenge like for everyone else in sports, but in terms of how it's changed our approach, in terms of where we choose to host it, um, you know, Portland had qualified and we wanted a U.S. host. So Portland, um, you know, and they're a great host, uh, as you know, their fan base in the U.S. is probably tops in the NWSL in terms of commitment, season ticket holders, enthusiasm, knowing the players, et cetera. Um, so we lucked out in that they're also quite good on the pitch and, and have quite a few titles to their name. So that's how we chose Portland um, in terms of being the host. In terms of COVID, we are subject to the, the rules of the stadium and, and the city of, of Portland. Um, so we don't have too much influence there. But yeah, we, we try to make it a safe environment for all our fans. And, and hopefully everyone feels comfortable and, and excited to come out. Awesome. And when you look at you know the inclusion, and maybe I'm going to go specific to Chelsea because uh, we have a, a bias here on this show. <laughs> like, how important to is it? Maybe not just that they are the champions within their own league, also women's FA Cup champions from this last season, but you also add in the fact that several members of the squad are now fresh off of winning the Euros just recently at Wembley with a record attendance, both for the tournament and the final. How important is that? And what are you seeing maybe from like a macro perspective around the growth of the women's game and this, the amount of eyeballs that are being drawn to it now? And Dan, I just want to clarify that it's a tournament record on both the men's and women's side. Correct. Um, yes. So this incredible match. I was actually lucky enough to be there and the atmosphere was, was amazing. Um, it was incredible. It was the English fans were nervous, uh, and, uh, but quite excited once, um, especially once Chloe Kelly scored, but, um, it was, it was quite an event and to have, you know, to have, and then just all the stats about it was the most watched women's game in, in England in history and the amount of, TV coverage and just I think in America um, fans were watching the Euro women's Euros at a higher rate than ever before. It was easier to watch the games. They're in ESPN. It was top broadcast analysts that we all know and love from both the women's and men's games. So it it just took everything to another level. And um, it's interesting because there's sort of these different highlight moments uh, in the path of women's soccer. Obviously. 1999 Rose Bowl, Brandy Chastain was, you know, the moment for a long time. And that was, and now England slash Europe has sort of had that moment with this final, um, even with a repeat celebration um, So of Brandy Chastain's. So it's just, the momentum is huge. I mean, the articles and the, the, the facts that I've seen coming out about attendance at WSL matches being up as much as like 2000% after this final, it's incredible. And then the fact that we have four of the, the winning players um, playing in our tournament for Chelsea, including, you know, Millie Bright, who we were talking about at the beginning of the game, you, you can't, you know, can't think of a more solid central defender than that. Um, and, you know, well, let's actually, let's take that back because we also have Renard playing the tournament. So you've you got some great choices there. 
but you know, Kirby, England, Carter, you know, so you've got huge names playing this tournament on the European side. I think we have something like 13, 14, 15 players that played in the Euro, primarily on the English team and the French team. But then we have, you know, Hagerberg for Norway. We have Van de Dunk for the Netherlands. We have Harder for Denmark. Um, you know, we have a number of Swedish players. So we we have a great representation from the Euros. And then to add to the excitement, you've got U.S. women's national team players and Sophia Smith, Becky Sarbron. Unfortunately, Crystal Dunn is still out maternity leave. Um, Lindsay Horan, who interestingly enough plays for, for Lyon. Um, we've got Mexican national team players. We've got Canadian next, national team players. So we've got you know, sort of the top of Europe and the top of North America um, all coming together in Portland next week. And I think that that is a level of excitement that people don't think about when they look at, oh, is my team playing or not? But just in the representation of not just the most elite teams, but the most elite collection of players that represent their countries on a national level. And I think we, uh, as Americans uh, chatting right now, might be a little uh, biased or maybe sometimes overly insular and just thinking about how good our team is, but then to realize that how much the game continues to evolve and how high quality the women's Euros was this year over the past version and how it continues to get better and better. Are you seeing the same thing with the women's ICC and that every time it's being run, the competition between the sides or the margin of differences continues to shrink? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And that's exactly what we saw last year. So last year, we couldn't have scripted the games better. Every game was determined by one goal. Um, every game, there was, there was, Games that went in. So the way we work it is that if a game ends in tie and regulation, we go into to penalty shootout. Um, so we had games that went into penalty shootouts. We had games with last minute winners. We had um, come from behind victories. We had, you know, Leon actually is the only participant to part- to play in the women's ICC all editions. So this will be their fourth time pre- playing. They've made the final three times, but only won it once. So it's this interesting thing that what what I love in the tournament is, you know, we had an American winner first in the Courage. Then Le- that was 2018. Leon won in 2019, 2021. The Thorns won beating Leon in the final. And so, you know, the, the Leon knows knows the tournament better than anyone and we'll see how that uh works out but um you know it's just it's it's just amazing because you know leon is this team that's won so many champions leagues but um you know the thorns as the shields winner were able to to beat them last year so that's where i you know again i get so excited about this tournament because it's hard to say what the top women's league in the world is and uh, it could be anyone, you know, it could be anyone's day in next week. Um, they, these teams are all that good that um, it, there, there's not going to be any blowouts. Uh, it, it's uh, great then that Chelsea and Leon get to kick off the festivities together as well. When you take the, you know, again, the winners of the, uh, of their respective league, and then also of the women's champions league uh, beating Barcelona, which, uh, you know, we, we were happy to see maybe a turn of out uh, given the way that Chelsea went out to Barcelona in a prior campaign uh, that I don't need to think about too much. Cause then my heart <laughs> will hurt again, but 
uh, getting Chelsea and Leon as the entry match has to be kind of a, a dream when you're thinking about it from a programming perspective about just the amount of talent that's going to be on the pitch at the same time between both sides. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that is a Champions League final level matchup. I mean, that that could be a Champions League, uh, League final next year. Who knows? I mean, it's just the amount of talent, you know, as, as, as we mentioned in terms of, um, you know, Chelsea not only has the English talent, but as we started talking earlier about Sam Kerr. So, I mean, arguably she's in the, the conversation for best player in the world or top three or top five player in the world, probably in, in almost everyone's opinion. Um, so we, we've got her. And, and interestingly enough, she's also played in the NWSL. So she she knows the different style of, you know, multiple leagues. Um, so it's, you know, it's it's great. We've got just top top uh, caliber players playing in that match and um you know it, and it's for a place in the final so it means something so yeah you know, i think with any type of major event there can always be challenges to pulling it off and with the way that the calendars have tended to work over the past few years it seems like there's never not a time where teams are playing some level of competitive football whether that's for their country or for their club how or have there been stumbling blocks in terms of like pulling this off and getting the best talent out there? Like, how is that being viewed as like the workaround to that challenge and finding these perfect times to get it pulled off? Yeah, you've, you've hit the nail on the head as to like one of our biggest headaches, because, um, you know, everyone listening to this podcast knows, but the, the U.S. schedule and the Mexican schedule are different than the European schedule. So for for the European teams, this is their preseason. For the American teams and, and North and Mexican team, this is within their season. So there's no perfect window. And then, you know, of course, we have this major tournament, the Euros, uh, just a couple of weeks prior. And players do need some vacation before they go back to their season. So it is a major challenge. And um, we've found in the past that this August timeframe does work the best in terms of being able to allow most European leagues to participate. And we've worked closely with NWSL to make sure that any team we invite does get a little bit of time off in their season, which they've been, they've been great on that front. But um, you were asking about barriers. So we, we had originally hoped to do a six team tournament, but with the Euro this year, some the French and, and German teams had so many players playing the, the clubs that we invited had so many players playing the Euro and they had, you know, certain vacation requirements. They just didn't want to come to this tournament without their best squad. And mm. we, you know, it's not a good look for them. It's not a good look for us. So, you know, we said, okay, this year doesn't work out for you. Um, but we'll we'll make another year work. You know, so long as you have that hardware, so long as you have a trophy. <laughs> but it's um, it is a is a real challenge. But we do want to make sure it's a time frame where we do get all the best players. So all those players that. You saw on TV or live just a couple of weeks ago in England playing the Euro will be participating in the tournament, which is which is fantastic for us. So it's uh, an interesting point that you bring up because I think there can be sometimes in a a tournament or a preseason, which may many people may view this as for, you know, I'm, I'm sure Emma, there's a trophy on the line. She's viewing it as a tournament and something to win. Um, fans might view it from a little more of like a mix, like preseason slash tournament, happy to be here type of thing. And sometimes in those type of events, the roster can be a little different, like particularly with traveling teams can sometimes not include all of the best of the best. How do you encourage or what type of, 
conversations incur to make sure from like a, a supporter's perspective that the best product is being put out in the field in terms of the best talent being there to represent the tournament? Yeah, it's a great question because it, it is really important for the integrity of the tournament. If we're going out there and trying to say we are, you know, filling in the gap for a club world cup, you know, we need to put our money where our mouth is. And so we do require that the teams do bring you know, all their national team players that have been playing in, in recent tournaments. So last year, our our hiccup, our hurdle was the Olympics. Um, so, we, you know, it's every year, as you mentioned, the calendar is so busy. There's always something. And I'm sure we'll get to next year and our thoughts on that um, with the Women's World Cup. But it's it's important for us and for the clubs to just make sure that the best of the club is represented. So that and you know, so that this is a, a legitimate and competitive event. And that's, we've lucked out. It's, always, you know, the clubs have always taken it quite seriously and made sure that all of our players have been present that, are, you know, as long as they're not injured, of course. And so as you think about just maybe the, you know, you, we get into next week, there's the Wednesday matches, there's the Saturday matches that's done and dusted. What are the things, I mean, the, the two or three things that you would point to and say, if this was a successful event, what would you point to and say like that helped you define that like this was better than last year in terms of whether it's attendance or the play on the pitch? Like, How are you judging success? Um, that's a great question. So we can already look to some of our successes and, and judge uh, how successful we are just in terms of our broadcast distribution, our broadcast partners, and then our commercial partners. So on that front, we are off to a great start. We have ESPN as our U.S. broadcaster, um, which of course is fantastic. We have just an incredible number of cameras that do the broadcast, like um, more than a traditional NWSL match. So, you know, just in terms of broadcast quality, it's top quality. We are broadcast in it, it's some outrageous number, like 250 or 280 markets and territories across the world, which you may say that sounds like more than the number of countries in the world. And you'd be right because they the broadcasters look at things like the territories like Guam as separate from the U.S. So there's but it's it's essentially an entire world distribution of this event. So. We, we have, you know, as I said, we have ESPN locally, and then we have DAZN essentially is broadcasting on its Champions League channel in every territory um, where we don't have a local broadcaster. So we have local broadcasters in South America, Scandinavia, um, Brazil, or well, I already mentioned South America, but we, but DAZN will basically be broadcasting on its channel in every country that we don't have a local broadcaster. So we've got that global distribution, which is incredible. And then in terms of partners, I believe we have 17 partners and they're, they're big name partners uh, led by Ally, who's our title sponsor. Um, and if you've been following them at all, they've just been doing a ton in women's sports, especially the NWSL. Uh, they know they've got the sleeve sponsorship and the NWSL. They've They've been in other women's sports as well. They've been a fantastic partner for us for a number of years. And this year, for the first time, they'll be the title partner. We have, you know, Verizon. We have EA, which is a nice tie-in with Sam Kerr being on the cover of the of the game this year. And I think she's going to get a first look at what she's going to look like at the game. Like EA and, and, and Sam Kerr and Chelsea are going to be meeting, which is, which is great. We have Nike, huge partner of Chelsea, of course. Um, and it's where Chelsea will be training for the for the event, which is great. Um, you know, the list goes on and on, but we've got TikTok, Oakley, Red Bull, Turkish Airlines, Shutterstock. I mean, 
Yeti. It's just, it's a great list. So on that front, you know, certainly looking, it, it looks like a success. And then to your next point, what defines success on the field and at the event itself? Crowd, crowd, number of fans, crowd engagement, and then the quality of play. So if we have anything like we had last year, we'll have a great event. We we always love to have a full stadium. So we'd love to have everyone out come on out to our to our games. They are double headers. Um, you know, the get in price is, is quite affordable, as cheap as like $25 to get in. Um, I don't know if there's any other entertainment you for four hours at this level that you can you know, buy for $25. Of course, you can also buy, you know, high-end tickets as well. Um, so that's what we'll be looking for in terms of determining whether or not it was a success. Yeah, definitely a good return on investment for time <laughs> to enjoyment, particularly if you're a fan of soccer or football, depending upon which side of the pond you're listening to this mm -hmm. on. And I think as we look ahead, so just you know, you mentioned it, but we have the Women's World Cup coming up in 2023 as uh, we happening next year. Also looming in the distance is the uh, Men's World Cup happening in the U.S. Uh, and in North America for hosting in 2026. Um, what's the evolution or growth plan that you're kind of planning for the women's ICC. I, I think if I read the tea leaves appropriately there, it's about expanding the team size count, uh, particularly within like France and Germany. But, it, you know, is that kind of like the next year goal and then, you know, to continue to add more and more teams? We would love to expand. We'd love to continue to expand. But you, you, there is a big elephant uh, in the room here with the, with the 2023 World Cup, especially the time frame it is. Uh, you know, it's July 20th to August 20th. It's in Australia, which is far for everyone. Um, it is going to make putting on an ICC next year a real challenge. So our, our, we have to do a lot of thinking about it, whether, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk to the clubs and see what their appetite is for traveling for, for a European club. Will they want to travel for a preseason when their players are just coming back from Australia? Not sure. Um, same thing with the NWSL clubs. Will they really want to, um, you know, if their players are just getting back from four weeks or, or more, actually, if you count training camp away. Um, so it's it will be a challenge next year. We'll have to think about it and and see what the solution is. Um, but if 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 23 isn't possible, we still hope to expand then in 24, where the calendar is a bit clearer. We don't have actually we will have an Olympics, but we <laughs> and I forgot because the Olympics are 21. But we will have an Olympics, but uh, you know not quite as big a hurdle as a as a World Cup, especially you know an expanded format world cup then then in terms of you know the build up to the 2026 um men's world cup yeah we want to you know ride that wave of just increased interest and buzz about soccer in the u.s um and so yes the, the plan is to continue to host the women's icc in the u.s certainly in 24 and 25 and hopefully we can figure something out for 23 but we'll 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 keep the fans posted as soon as we know. Well, I think right now, then we'll all look forward to an amazing next week for those in attendance at Portland, getting a chance to see the Chelsea women's team on the pitch against Leon in the first and opening match of the tournament. And hopefully on the Saturday playing in the back end and lifting another trophy and bringing that one home to uh, Cobham where uh, the men, women, and the Academy teams train. But uh, Susie, thank you so much for giving us some time to walk us through the women's ICC and give us some thoughts on the growth of the game and where it's heading. And uh, I can't wait to see you in Portland. 
Thanks so much for having me, Dan. And yes, I can't wait to see you as well. All right. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, well, it's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in. You know, we're all focusing our macros with protein, carbs, and and fat. Now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables. It's just hard to eat that many servings a day. So uh, I started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient. I'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable resistant immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things. Again, I do it. It's easy. It's fast. It's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work, drink it, it, it goes down quickly. Uh, and like I said, you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily. Uh, but hey, don't listen to me. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hi, Nick. Susie's got us jazz. Susie's got us hype. We're ready for the women's ICC, but we're also ready for three more years of Millie Bright. Absolutely. You know, I think if you've listened to the the Blue Royalty show that that I do with Jesse and Abdullah, where you've just heard me on on our show before, Millie Bright is my uh, favorite Chelsea women's player. One of my favorite Chelsea players. Period. Uh, I think she's absolutely fantastic. We've told the story before that you know when we went to go see the Chelsea women's team play for the first time uh, as a as a group in 2019, uh, it was her flying around and putting in two footed challenges and uh, shit housing a bit and you know, scoring goals and stuff like that that really kind of drew my eye and uh, I've just I've just kind of always kept my uh, my my footballing eye on her every time uh, she plays and so. You know, it was it was nice in the in the women's FA Cup final. Then that you know, at the end of the game, they were defending right, you know, kind of um, against our side, and to see the amount of work that she puts in week in and week out, the type of Euros performance that she had. I mean, she is so so much more than deserving of a new contract. That it's that's not even funny. But I'm very glad that we secured one of our best players and a leader on the Chelsea women's team for another three years. Yeah, and as it highlighted on the official announcement on Chelsea's website, that that is going to see her surpass over a decade with the club that she will have, and as uh, it indicates, she's actually the longest-serving member of the club at the moment, too. So that is a high honor, high regard for her. And in her words, when she was also quoted in the press release, saying that Chelsea, the fans, the club, the people, thank you for all your support so far. You're my home, and I can't wait to continue fighting for more trophies. Cheers to the future. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that can be said. I think you went into a lot of plaudits already. She's off the back of a Euros victory as well, women's Euros, the 
most watched Euros, men's or women's, ever in terms of a final. Like, that is really, really incredible stuff. And so, I mean, I think just in general, when you look at kind of a back line, you know, she's such a solid contributor of that, playing week in and week out uh, pretty much as, as many, as, as much time as she's able to be in the lineup, Emma will put it in there and, and put her in there. And I think that that's the you know, helps solidify a little bit of our future. But as we were talking before we started recording, Nick, and as we might get into it here now, there's a lot of work still left to do when it comes to making sure that our defense is rounded out, not just for this season coming ahead, or our team is rounded out for this season ahead, but there's a lot of work to do on some other contracts. Yeah, before I dive into that, I think she was a absolute snub in the Euro team of the tournament. Like how Leah Williamson made it in over her, I will never understand. Um, I just it blew my mind. Like Millie was like Millie was called out by every pundit at the end of every game as having rock solid performances. It's just absolute ludicrous stuff from UEFA. But what else do you what else do you expect at this point? Um, again, not enough Chelsea in the media. That's what we've learned uh, time and time again. Jose was right. Jose was right. <laughs> Jose was right. Yeah, there is a campaign uh, against Chelsea in the media, and you know the fact that Emma Hayes is up there. Uh, doing her her best commentary bits during the tournament was was uh, was helpful, but but apparently not enough to get us a a dub here. But uh, but look, I mean, I think it's really really important to think about this Chelsea women's team and how much they've achieved with Millie Bright being a constant throughout. Right, think about all the trophies that she's lifted with Emma Hayes. You think about all of the vice captain responsibilities that she's put in over the years. You think about the last dish tackles, you think about all this stuff and it's, it's no surprise that she's been renewed. The problem that the Chelsea women have, and I think this is largely a, a problem due to the ownership transition is that they have a lot of players entering the last year of their contracts. I'll name some of them for you. Uh, Frank. Household Kirby names, an, uh, household names yeah, or just, yep. Yeah, no, just a bunch of really good players. Dan. Uh, Frank Kirby has a contract up in 23 with an option for 24, which I'm very sure will be renewed. Uh, Pernilla Harder, ever heard of her? Uh, 23, uh, her contract's up. Guro Wrighton, uh, the uh, fans player of the season at 2023. Sophie Ingle. Girl gang's going to be real unhappy if that doesn't get renewed. It should be a really easy one to get done. Let's get him over the line. Let's do a conveyor belt of signings, Todd. Let's really get it in. Involved here. Sophie Engel, a mainstay at the club for a very long time, 2023. Uh, Melly Lupuls, uh, who is, is is off on maternity leave, but is still very much part of this team, 2023. Aaron Cuthbert, ever heard of her, 23. Uh, Jesse Fleming, everyone's favorite young player of the season, 23. Uh, Charlotte Wardlaw, a little less of a household name admittedly, but an option for 24. Uh, and then uh, Georgia Fox, who is a really highly regarded young player at 2023, plus an option for 24. Magda Erickson, Dan, captain of the club, 2023. Uh, Marin Mielda, uh, the, the mother hen of this group, 2023. Jess Carter, uh, a resurgence last season, Jess Carter, uh, 2023. And Zachira Musevic, everyone's favorite social media star, 2023. That is an inordinate amount of players, and that's not even counting those who have 24. I mean, really counting those who have 24. There are a couple options in there. But uh, the old brass at, at Chelsea FC, uh, including the Todd father himself, 
let's just start rolling out these contracts. Let's let's start getting people involved because uh, this Chelsea team are are still poised to do a lot of great work. And I want to make sure, you know, if I were him, I'd want to make sure that this team has the stability it requires. Well, it's 11 players who are up in 2023, a few who have the 23 plus a year option. Not sure if that's a year option that the club holds or it's a player option or if it's a appearance minimum or something of that nature. So that maybe would require a little bit more digging. But I think when you have 11 players who are up at the end of the season, I would imagine similar to how the women's team has attacked the transfer market this window, signing multiple players in positions of need to really reinforce and go to bat, not just for a English campaign in the FAWSL, but in a European campaign as title holders of England, that they're going to have to get this done. I would imagine in short order, I feel like probably all the mental capacity and uh, bandwidth at the (laughs) at the club level with our director of football slash owner slash chief negotiator slash daddy warbucks i don't know whatever you want to call him todd bowley has a lot of things on his mind and i would imagine once the transfer window shuts that not just for the men's team but the women's team this must be a top priority has to be i mean that's that's half your squad there you know so I think you just have to be smart about it. And I think Chelsea have also, as, we, as we've talked about with the men's side, done some really smart, smart wage structuring. Um, so I, I would bet that that's part of the thinking here is ensuring that our best players are on the best wages and that we're able to incentivize players for performances appropriately. Um, that's something else that's, that's kind of uh, at play here because you don't want to explode the wage pool because you didn't plan ahead properly. Um, and I think that's all that's all part of this. But look, one down with Millie, a very important one down with Millie. Um, she's going to play alongside Kadisha Buchanan and uh, Magda Erickson this year in defense. And I think our our back three is looking real solid uh, as it stands today. She's going to join up with the team in Portland. So you're going to see M-Dog get out in the Portland rain or sunshine, whatever it is this time of year. And uh, and it's going to be great. But I. I'm just so pumped that the women's game is back. I think, you know, having done the full season of coverage last year with uh, with Jesse and Abdullah, that, you know, the, the prospects of this season are, are tasty. And I think that Champions League is going to be real fun this season. Yeah, let's see if we can get it done. But the start of that campaign is having a really, really great preseason. And that starts in Portland next week. Again, tickets are super cheap if you can afford it live in the Pacific Northwest. And if you do intend on going, hit us up on social and let us know. Uh, I know that the Sumptown Blues, which, again, it's not the Portland Blues or something. It's the Sumptown Blues. You can find them on their Twitter account or retweet <laughs> it. But they're planning some pre-pub drinking before the matches as well for that type of festivities. I'm sure the women's ICC is going to have some stuff going on as well. But that's going to wrap it up for us. We've talked too long as well, and that's just the nature of how this goes. But you know what? It was a whole lot easier because Brandon took the night off. We got it done so much quicker. You know how lengthy he can be on this show. I mean, good Lord, he would have just been... The most verbose of any of us. It's really... He would have still still been talking about the schedule from the first segment. I mean, Jesus. Um, No, he'd be talking about uh, uh, calendar year stats versus season stats. It's a whole thing right now here. Don't worry about it. Um, But, yeah, super excited that the, the women's game is back. I would be going if not for the fact that I already booked travel to Dublin 
uh, around the same time. And so I'm not going to be able to make it, but we are glad that, that Dan is able to go and represent the pod. And please reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, if you're going to be there. Uh, Dan enjoys having beers. Uh, he's he's True. quite he's quite friendly. <laughs> need so need, need just... a Christian Falk tweet. True, Dan enjoys True. drinking beers. <laughs> check green check mark. Uh, so so reach out. Uh, he'll he'll be around, and you guys can high five, have beers, and, and have some fun. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this one, Chelsea fans. We got tons more coming at you next week. Look, Chelsea are playing Spurs. That's going to be a massive podcast. More updates from our journalist friends around what's going on with the club. Another episode for the Academy. Another episode of Blue Royalty. Just so much fun this time of year, this time of season. But until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.